Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving the perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the, meme, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wayne Burns, like my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. How are you? Going pretty good, man. And um, you know, we're going to get into, for today, we're going to get into a few album reviews in the first half, and then um, in the second half, we're going to have a review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, but to start it off with Logic's latest um, album, his final album, No Pressure, um, this being his, you know, sixth project and final one, he reunited with producer No ID, who's done albums for Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Snow Allegra as, you know, well as Logic's debut Under Pressure. And um, he's got a lot of Frank lyrics in here, speed rapping his way through um, a GP4, paying tribute to heroes like Public Enemy and, and Erica Badu. Then in Celebration, um, he's praising hip hop's verbal muscle over a bent gospel tone that's um, similar to one of Melvin um, Van Peebles' soundtracks. And, um, he says, quote, but you still study everything I drop. Too many people want to tell you what you can and cannot. Go to school, get a job, get married and have kids. People are going to tell you what, what to do for as long as you live, end quote. Then also in, in Soul Food 2, um, there's a, a there's gospel and, and, heaven, and heavenly background vocals with a chorale featuring um, Brittany, um, Noel Hall, producer Six, Bobby Campbell, and others singing while through the mix. Um, Logic fades their voices and he says, quote, crazy how one day the legends forget that they equal on this Under Pressure sequel. We're not taking it back. We keep we keep it. We keep on it pushing. People scared of change, but you'll find me deep in the cushion. End quote. And then later in the album, he reveals at times righteous indignation and you know melodic skills. And there's also self satisfaction. But what were your thoughts on this final album of his? You know, bringing back memories of his younger self, um, trying to make it, and then transitioning to where he is now, um, being content with this final stage of his career and and just being a father now. What a send off, man! I I really like I love Logic's music, like man, I've been rocking with Logic for yeah. I think since like 2014. I love his concepts. He's like one of the best rappers who has like dope concepts. It's like I forgot what album it was. He had like a space theme, and Big Sean kind of like featured mm. on it, like said a couple stuff. Like it was so dope. Like I love those concepts for. So for um, no pressure, man. I feel like. The beginning to end, like it was like the the obviously it's like the end note, but at first we came in the game, it's like man, I got so much pressure. Now I don't have any pressure. Now I can step away without having no like regrets or anything. But I love how you did it. I love the music, especially uh my favorites, yeah. GP4, mm-hmm. uh Celebration. Uh-huh. I'm a big fan of Silas. I love Silas. Skirt, skirt. Like I love Silas. Oh, that's one of his songs. <laughs> Uh, uh, I like Dark Place for some reason. It heard him say, mm-hmm. like when I first saw heard him say, I was like, is he gonna oh, like heard sample? Him, heard him say it was crazy. Kanye West, like, is he gonna sample Kanye West? But I love it. I love the concept of uh, heard him say. But um, I think this project it was really really dope. I I love the way he did it. The cover art, like his cover art, are already like. Always strategic. It is always like always. brings you in. Yeah, it's so strategic. Like it's so dope, man. That's man. You can't go wrong with like I don't know who does this cover art, but she hold up. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, can we? Can Pratt. we? Can somebody find that person? <laughs> his name is Sam Spratt. He's on. Yeah. I just looked at his Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's legit. Okay. Yeah. He does all his cover art, actually. Is he verified? Uh, he's not verified, but he has forty three thousand followers. But he's Still not verified. Yeah, he's he's probably a coming up artist, but nah. 
that's yeah. This whole album was dope, start to finish, concept, lyrically, just being transparent, <clears throat> melodies, just yeah, logic, logic going out the way he wanted to go. Absolutely. Out. Yeah, and, and um, you know, he also details fatherhood and, and the pitfalls of, of rap stardom, and still gives a nod to his major influences. Um, he borrows cadences from from Biggie and Kendrick Lamar, also making lyrical nods to J Cole and Kanye, and um production elements being recycled from artists like Erica Badu, Lupe um, Fiasco, and, and Outkast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when an artist is giving out these many nods and, acknowledge- and acknowledgements to, you know, other artists that had a major impact on him, like, w- what did that show you for his approach of this project and how he wanted to close things out? Because there were just so many influences he had and he wanted to kind of list all of them out. So when you first come in the game, you you have inspiration for some. And I think that's the one thing that hasn't changed for him periodically, like throughout his career. He always paid homage to the people that gave him inspiration. Drake, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, the, the list goes on. Andre 3000, Big, like the list goes on. So I think that's the one consistent thing that was in his career that really didn't bring to per- depression or really didn't bring him uh, like, like that negative vibe he always like i'm always going to pay homage to the greats so i think him doing so just really yeah. just show his true colors and that he something that's inside of him that was been has been broken down by these record labels by fans by joe budden like some mm-hmm. things will never be <laughs> good old joe good, good old, old joe. joe and he the guy he, who said views the guy who said views was a horrible project <laughs> Joe, buddy, you had one hit and you're not a you're a terrible battle rapper. Like, yo, get out of here, bro. Like, your music was trash. See, I wonder what he's gonna say for Drake's for Drake's newest album. Oh my goodness, the worst sixth album of all time. <laughs> Joe Budden just like man, he's a parasite. He's just waiting. He's just waiting for that release to drop. I don't I don't understand why. I don't understand why you say that. Like, views was dope. And logic, it doesn't matter if he's black enough, man. It's he's a dope rapper. Yeah. Adult lyricist. He's just a dope rapper. He has multiple cadences in his, his repertoire. Like his concepts are dope. His cover art is always the dope. He's engaged. He's like, yo, that's really like he has the full package. Well, he can't sing, but he can mm-hmm. he could harmonize and find different melodies. But he is just a true package. What else do you want? Because he's black and Jewish or whatever. Come on, man. Drake's black and Jewish. Is Drake black enough? <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> come on, man. Like, look at look you still at except Drake. <laughs> exactly. Like, come on, man. And then he's not overly doing it. Like, oh, I'm black, 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 black. He's not overly doing. It. Like, yeah, I don't joke, but it's crazy, man. But yeah, this is a great send off project, man. This like, yeah, logic, logic. He's not a goat. I won't say he's a goat, but I a think perfect he, way to send things out. Yeah, he's a solid, a solid MC lyricist that has like different. Man, he's he's not a goat, but he's definitely solidified. Blue check, yeah, he's solidified. Definitely, yeah, w- w- without question. And um, now transitioning to Chance the Rapper's um the the big day um in his you know most recent album from last summer, you know he, he curated different styles and sounds to be eclectic, but but still holistic. Um, he remixed the theme song to the you know the beloved TV show Arthur, and there's a huge list a huge list of guests with you know in Vogue. SWV, Coco, Aruzi, John Legend, Sean Mendez, and Kiki Sheard, um, some of the just few, many guests that he had. And then he co-produced everything on this project. Um, God, marriage, fatherhood, adulthood, and the future are all heavy things that he's delving in. And um, so many of the songs on here are, you know, 
just exuberant and, and infectious and in Rue, um, Chance and his brother Taylor Bennett look back at how it was growing up at their in their household and their dad teaching them about the bond of brothers and cher- cherishing the depth of it. And he says, quote, we, we look just alike, the prestigious, so prestigious, the spitting image of Lupita standing on the beaches, don't tweak and don't be facetious, those shells will stretch you to pieces, end quote. And then in Do You Remember, it's got a laid back groove with um, him reminiscing over past summers and simpler times. And he says, um, quote, put the 27s down, Lord, give me a clean lung. Took the ring out the box. I know this ain't no brief love. The story arc so sharp that it made the streets flood. Um, this type of covenant, you deep love, deep love. And um, end quote. And, and overall, though, you know, Chance is one of the most talented rappers there is now. And the brilliance is evident on different songs. And he said in an interview with Beats One, Zane's Low, quote, um, the whole album was, has, you know, has been inspired by the, by the day I got married and how I was dancing that day. Everything in it, all the different styles of music that make me want to dance and remind me of that day, end quote. But what were your thoughts on this as an album that had family love, um, being a newlywed along with experiencing fatherhood wrapped into one? Boo. <laughs> this 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 album was trash, man. It did not go over well. The, the best song on here was Hot Shower. It did not go well. He had a, a, a gazillion features on here, and I didn't rock with none of the music. Ton. The only song that... By the way, it has a hundred, I think it's a hundred, seven hundred thousand uh streams. That's the highest one. The next one is like a hundred and eighty thousand streams. This album did not do well at all. Not the at all. Reception was not great to put it to no. put it frankly. <laughs> yeah, it was not great. Hot showers was the best song, and uh made it take uh Tio and the baby kind of like really. His his verse was fire, like his cadence, like his playful moods and antidotes. Like, yeah, that's his dope. cadence is crazy. Yeah, his cadence is crazy in the song, but that's the only song like I can play over and over. Like, I don't know this this album. Like, gosh, man, he could should have called this a mixtape. He would have got over better, man. You couldn't play slide around. No. Slide around was kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Nicki. I'm not. A, I can't stand Nicki's voice anymore, man. Yeah, I cannot it's, it's stand out. Nikki's voice anymore. But he did get her twice on the album, so that's that's dope. Like he has enough mm-hmm. independent money to get all these artists, Little Dirk, Sean uh, <laughs> Mendez, Gucci Man, Mega the Stallion. Like the list is crazy. Like, he that's, has a big time. That's the thing I was gonna bring up next. Yeah, the, the, like, like 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 that was the thing because you know he he had you know. The assorted taste that he that he had along with him flipping brandies, I want to be down into a hip hop house jam with Sean Mendez, um, and, and the like the other artists that you mentioned that were like on this project. Um, but like, what did you think about just the different type of guests that he had on this project? Because you said it was so many and none of them really clicked for you. Right. Um, we we've we reviewed projects where artists have had a lot of guests, but they for the most part they clicked. And for this one, as you were saying, like. It felt as though it was a, a it was a lot of different ones, but just the direction of it just kind of wasn't there. Yeah, I I don't think I think Smino was a great feature. The baby Manateo mm-hmm. was a great feature. John Legend, I mean John Legend can sing with anybody or do with anything with anybody. Like he's he's a legend. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. He's a freaking legend. Um, but I just I don't know. It's like he's John Legend. It's a legend. <laughs> yeah, that was just like like I wasn't even trying to do anything there, but um, yeah, but he, he literally is. Man, I, I don't I don't know. I I thought the features. I mean, he had it like I said before. He had a big time features, 
but it just the chemistry wasn't there. The concept wasn't good. Like slide around. Like okay, I mean it's okay. It's like a song like you like. Oh, that's that's dope. But I'm not gonna play it over again. Like hot shower. Dum 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 dum. Like that's in my head. The melody's in my head. I don't even know the words. That's on repeat. But the melody is in my head. Like it's like songs, like okay songs. Like okay, oh yeah, that was good. I mean, it was whatever. It's not like I'm gonna play. It's a lot of good songs. (laughs) Like I'm gonna play it over and over. But I don't know. I think the features. Like I like Smino. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Smino. So like Eternal was was decent. But uh, the other song was like, Mm -hmm. man, I'd rather eat a sandwich. You know. I don't know if you watched The Temptations. It was like uh, when they're doing music, if you was down to your last dollar, yeah, <laughs> would you either buy a sandwich or buy this record? So I'll buy the sandwich. I'll eat the sandwich. For sure. I'll just get a sandwich. <laughs> for sure. And, and I mean, for, for sure. <laughs> and, and I mean, with Chance and, and, and like just overall as an artist in terms of the different sounds he has, like, like Besides, like, apart from this project, just what are your overall thoughts on him um, in terms of what, because, like, we, we talked about the cadence, like, he, like that's a, a crazy part um, yeah. of his of his skill um, package and, and, and elements, but, like, in terms of what he is in, as an artist, what he's been doing, what he can do better, because, you know, this project didn't have the reception that, um, that, that was, like, a, a great amount or something that people really, like, felt as though this, this album stuck with them. Um, what, what are kind of your overall thoughts on just who he is as an artist right now and going forward? Stick to your guns. Stick to his guns. Because Chance has the ability to... It's like... To, he infuses like R&B and like gospel together in a way that's not like disrespectful, if, you, if that makes sense. It's like... It's a good combombination. Like, mm-hmm. take for instance, Coloring Book. Like, Coloring Book... I listen to every single song over and over. That's an album or a mixtape I can it's listen crazy. to throughout, like nonstop. Like same drugs, we don't do the same drugs no more. Like stick to that. Crazy. Stick to your guns. That's what people love. Like this album, it felt like he was just too playful. Yeah, had a a, a good message. He was just married. Talk about family, but. You talked about family and love and acid rain and coloring book, but it the the I guess the the delivery was different. Maybe I guess he had more pressure on it because it was his album. So he tried to like pack it full of hot artists like the baby Meg the Stallion, Nicki Minaj. It was like he wanted just to keep it packed because this was an album and, and, and there was like a different like output that he had to give. Right. And I think he overdid it with uh, he had like 10, 15 features. No look. Let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, God. Seven, eight, nine, 10, oh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, what? 18, 19, 20. Oh, I'm count- no. 20 uh, twice. And then SWV again. Like, yo, it's 22 songs on here. Too many. <laughs> it's 22 songs on here. Like, 21. Hey, 20 <laughs> 18 other songs are like <laughs> yo like what do you I understand it's an album and you're just trying to get street like you should have <laughs> stick to the formula forget all those I think on coloring book he had maybe five six uh, top seven features I know drum was 
was yeah, one. It was a minimal list. It was yeah. a minimal list of features. Yeah, it was. So I'm like, yo, like, what do you do? Like, stick to your guns. Like, you, like, we love Chance because you give you give us mm. both of those elements and combine them perfectly. That's not disrespectful. It is so good. Like, it's right. like it's catchy. Like, it's really, really catchy. Like, uh, what's the song with him and Justin Bieber? Uh Du, 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 du. I can't. I forgot the the song called, but like it's stick to that. Just stick to the guns, man. Just because it's an album, you don't have to load it with multiple features that did not stick. Just because their name is good doesn't mean the music's gonna. Oh, be you good. mean jukebox? Stick to your guns. That's what I mean. He's still a great rapper. Just stick to your guns. Yeah, definitely. And um, now transitioning to um, Scissor's uh, control review. Um, you know this album was released in 2017 and was meant to be the conclusion for the trilogy of, of self-titled re- title releases following um, 2013's S and then 2014's Z, her official entry into the music sphere. And um, she wanted this project to reveal a lot about her romantic life, the ups and downs of it. And, and she just got a fearless style and, it, and it, you know, it working powerfully in the set piece of R&B makes what she does so unique. There, there's just so much she's highlighting, whether it be scrutinizing modern dating or just revealing how loneliness has affected her at times and in prom one of the best songs on the project and just a really exceptional moment um, as she deals with meditation on the essential worry of aging she says quote fearing not growing up keeping me up at night am i doing enough feel like i'm wasting time end quote and control really also has um indie rock and neo soul that's radio friendly but the album mm-hmm. is is centered with a lot of different sounds along with r&b um, right. But what were your thoughts on this debut album from SZA as she deals outside of the confines of her genres and also dealing with self-care and, and love's fragilities? What a album. You understand me? I love her. Like, my favorite... You said Prom, your favorite song. Doves in the Wind is my favorite. Uh, the Weeknd, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Weeknd. Prom is really good. Broken um, Fox. Yeah, I'm on the fence of Love Galore. Love Galore is... I think she she could have like like just kicked Travis Scott off the song. It would have been an even better song. Um, yeah, Broken Clocks was a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty Little Birds with Isaiah Rashad that was really good. Like this whole album was like Gogina, 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 Gogina. Oh, I don't remember that song. Hold up, let me play a little. Oh yeah, that's a nice melody. The production on this this thing, yeah. they prolong this so, mm-hmm. so, 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 so much. And I and I, I read an article where she was getting so frustrated. I forgot the manager and like he's like one of the heads of TDE. It was like, yo, every time I like, I'm like, okay, we're done. He was like, nah, it's it's missing something. Like, what is it missing? Like, she was getting so flustered, but it all worked out because this was yeah. a well fluent album. Every song into like it went well, it flowed well. Her voice is amazing. She didn't have an she didn't have too many features. She had the right amount and the perfect combination of features. So it was just like it was like a vibe mm-hmm. album, of course. But she, like you said, she did have those radio hits as well as those vibes and talking with like Drew Barrymore. Like I can't really say what she said in the song, so I'm gonna leave it alone. I didn't even try to rhyme right there, Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- th- there were there were so many like good songs on this project that interchanged so well. The the thought process of how everything was laid out, like 
that's one of the things like for a project we compared chances which i mean like like the thought process for it i mean obviously it was an album so we had to think differently for it but her early in her career having having the thought process out this clear um that's something that's really amazing to see her just already delve into like what did that say for you as a young artist that a project this early for her was just well thought out and she took her time to to put out something excellent well she has a great team i think that's because a lot of artists get antsy they feel like the music is really really good they want to put it out and it's all about timing and market and just else a lot goes into dropping an album and for her she's with a great label in tde and they have a, like a huge big team, a lot of talent, a lot of people who've been in the industry for a long time and they know what they're doing. I think they pumped the brakes on her and I think it worked really well for her. Now, I'm not even sure she dropped another album. So she would have to top this. She's been in like features and a couple singles here and there. But I don't think she dropped another album. She set the bar so high for her now. And this was Goodness. dropped in 2017, Wellington. Yeah. I mean, she has, you know, features. Okay. She's she's got features, but it's been a while since she's she's dropped another project. I mean, the timing for her is obviously something that's important, but I mean, the the features in it for the next one and what she does to add on to it is definitely going to be something that's fascinating. Yeah, and she's going to have I don't want her to be like Bryson Tiller. Or, I mean, the list goes on, but that's like the number one person artist that I try to like use as an example of being like putting out a fire. Don't album. be this guy. <laughs> yeah, don't be, don't be this guy. And then the singles he put out were fire. So I'm thinking, okay, yo, okay, yeah. he dropped Trap Soul. Then he dropped uh, Let Me Explain in another single. And I'm like, oh, Oh, Bryson coming back with another album is going to be fire. And it was a dud. And he knew it was a dud. And he apologized for that dud. Don't be Bryson Tiller. But he's rebounding, though. He's in a lot of features. He's dropped singles here and there. He's been doing, I mean, before the pandemic, he did a lot mm-hmm. of shows, just trying to, like, gain gain back that momentum. And then I feel like he's going to put out a good project. Um, but if Sizz, um, yeah. SZA does that, I'm going to be upset, Willington. Upset. You don't do that. You TDE <laughs> top dog. You don't do that. Top dog. <laughs> Hot dog. <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, Control was also a Grammy-nominated record in an inter- interview with The Fader and GQ. Um, she talked about her confusion dealing with the album's success. She said, quote, it meant everything I felt about myself was wrong, end quote. And there was just a struggle for her to feel confident about this. And she's also talked about her frustration for losing all five Grammys that, um, and the conflicted feelings about the outpouring of support that followed. Um, but when an artist doesn't feel like a certain project of theirs should, shouldn't get recognition or they don't resonate, resonate with it the same way their fans do. Um, what are kind of your thoughts on that and how that applied to SZA for control? Because there were just a lot of thinking for her that, that went on with this and just kind of like her not feeling the same way fans felt about it. You know, as a, as an artist, you go through those uh, stints of where you just feel like you're really not good, <laughs> and you just you're you're your biggest critic, and that's what it is, man. You really feel like it's like people better than you. Why are people gravitated to my music? And I, I don't understand why she feels that way. Um, but I do understand if you didn't like, 
get the opportunity to present your music a way that you really wanted to, then I understand that. But I don't think she should have any hesitation because this, this project was a solid project. Obviously, it had five nominees for Grammys. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You got five nominees. <laughs> five nominees? What are you doing? Like, I just want one. I just want to go to the show. Like, <laughs> what? I don't know. I want to be in a seat. <laughs> exactly. Just make me one of those uh, filler guys. I'll be in a tuxedo sitting in the people's seat. I'll do it. <laughs> But I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, it's no, those insecurities as an artist, especially singers. Singers go through more insecurities than rappers, because you know mm-hmm. people have different styles or different different voices, and they don't know how it's going to be perceived. And when it's perceived the way they never thought it was going to be, it's like a like a a shock to them. But I mean, you know, singers are prima donnas. I would say rappers are more easier. I mean. You go through your, your days where you were like, hey, man, I wish I would have rapped that better or something like that. But singers, yeah, they're prima donnas. But she, it's she, just she, a differing element. Yeah. rap Rapping isn't easy. I wouldn't say rapping is really, mm-hmm. really hard. And singing is really, really hard. But I think rappers have more confidence because you have to have more confidence when you're... It, your, your lyrics have to be believable. And I'm pretty sure it's the same thing with singing. They got a hit. Yeah, it has to be believable. We have to feel it. We have to be like, oh, he really went to that cheap key, bang, bang. Like, we have to... We, we have to... <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. But um, I don't know. She's That's that's kind of weird. Five nominees, you should be on top of the world. Like, yo, that album was fire. I don't know, man. And for the, and for the next project, like, is there one thing or maybe a couple of things you you, you kind of want to see like more or just even a continuation of what she's doing now. Cause we always, we all, with these album reviews, we're always, especially with the younger artists, we're always interested in what they're going to do next. Like right. what in particular next do you, are you kind of interested to see from SZA? I want to see her, like her sequence, how she's going to like get back in the face um, and get back momentum going. I want to, it's not what she should do. I want to see what she will do. How will she mark? Will she drop singles? Mm-hmm. Will she just drop a small little EP? Because she dropped a song on April 20th, a single on April 20th. So April 20th. <laughs> so I want to see like her sequence of how they market, <laughs> how they market her to get her back into the limelight. I, I'm I'm eager to see that because yeah. you know it's different ways to do so. You can do the pot way by dropping a lot of singles, or you can just do like J. Cole and just drop the whole project <laughs> without any singles at all. So, I mean, and it's other ways to do it as well. So I'm just eager to see what she does, um, how to get back into the line. The J. Cole and Chance um, <laughs> dynamic. Chance, he wants 18, 18 <laughs> guests. J. Cole's like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't want anybody. <laughs> I think J. Cole will have a feature, though. I think J. Cole will have a feature on this new one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At least one. At least one. I, he got it. I want to get a song with J. Cole. I mean, uh, another song with Drake. Come on, before you retire, buddy. Another song with Drake. Because they please, got Jody C's back. Um, uh, uh, can I hit it in the morning? In the morning. Um, it's a couple oh, yeah. other. It's another. They they did a whole mixtape back in like when they first came out. They did a mixtape. With some fire songs yeah. on it. But I want to see them do some new music. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review.
Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review. And to start it off with the overview, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a 2019 comedy drama film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Columbia Pictures, Bona Film Group, Heyday Films, and um, Vision Romantica, and distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. Um, it's a co-production between the United States, United Kingdom, and China, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Emily Hirsch, Mar- um, Margaret Kelly. Timothy Oliphant, Austin Butler, Dakota Fanning, Bruce Thurn, and Al Pacino. It's set in 1969 Los Angeles. The film's about an actor and a stunt double as they navigate the changing film industry and features multiple storylines in a modern fairy tale tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. Um, it had a budget of 90 to 96 million and brought in 374.3 million in the box office. Had an 85% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it received 10 nominations at the 92nd Academy Awards, including Best Picture, um, and Brad Pitt won Best Supporting Actor. The film was also nominated for Best Production Design. It won Best Motion Picture for a Musical or Comedy at the 77th Golden Globe Awards. And um, what were kind of your initial thoughts on the film, being a later Tarantino film, his ninth, um, as it was made by a movie lover for movie lovers, and obviously brilliant with a mashup of real-life events and characters with um, pure fiction? Yeah, I was, uh, when I first uh, <laughs> saw the movie, I thought it was like based off of like a real, real, like like 100% true story. Then I started reading more. I was like, yeah, no way, no way. But I mean, I mean, it was a good, it was a good film. I think, I think it uh, definitely had those high moments, especially when you introduce Bruce Lee in there and he has a little stint with the stunt double. It's that, that was really funny. Um, but it had a good mixture of like serious and funny, and then it had a, a little violent mm. violence in there <laughs> scattered everywhere. But I, I like how they, it was like <laughs> yeah, real depiction of what Hollywood looked like in the seventies and how it was transitioning. It it really like it was like a, a, a true depiction of what was going on in the, in Hollywood. But I mean, it was one of his best film, obviously. But I mean, it was, mm. it was okay. Yeah, it was, it was I good. mean, he, yeah. He, he, I mean, he, he's got so many good ones, and um, th- there's obviously like the the controversy of, of the Bruce Lee scene for some people. Like Bruce Lee's daughter felt as though like how he her father was portrayed was just you know not the accurate depiction. And sometimes with Tarantino, just how he depicts certain things are are kind of scrutinized. Like like were were there anything in particular about that scene? Um, I, I know we're kind of getting ahead of it. But but that one particular scene is one that sticks with many people. Like like, was there anything about that scene in particular that you felt as though with what Tarantino was doing, that's one of the reasons why some people can kind of criticize certain things that he depicts. I think he, I, I mean, if the proof is in the pudding, I thought I, what that scene was was I think was really what he thought about Bruce Bruce Lee and his personality, how he carried himself, and even the actor. I forgot. Uh, what is his name? Uh, it doesn't say the actor who played his name, but even I, I read an article. Uh, I forgot his name. Read an article that he had some, some, uh, like you know, some comments about it when he was reading the script, and he wanted some things to be changed because it was because Bruce Lee is his idol, and then he got shame for playing the role that it depicted Bruce Lee in that in that light. So it kind of like, it's like, no, I didn't want, I mean, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity, but I did, it was some changes made because of what he said to Quentin Tarantino. 
But so I was, I'm interested to see yeah. what was the changes. He didn't go in specifics of what the changes were. But if that was, I mean, the scene is not bad. He put out there were changes, but didn't really delve into what, what he was even kind of thinking for that part. Right, exactly. And I don't think the scene was really bad. I, Bruce Lee was a arrogant, cocky dude. I mean, yeah. Extreme I mean, the same, yeah, the same way how they depict him in Ip Man, but nobody said anything about that. It's the same thing they did in Ip Man. And that's how he used to talk. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with the scene. But him getting thrown into the car, I don't know if that was true or not, but it was very comical. Like it was <laughs> that was funny. That was like the highlight of the film, like one of the highlights of the film. <laughs> Cliff was like, hey, that that den in the car says otherwise. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and now transitioning to from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um to me, it, it was a four-star film that was layered and ambitious. And even though there's thrills that are unrestrained, it, it's crafted so well as it's not only just one of Tarantino's um really good films, but also, you know, a really good LA film as Los Angeles and 69 was his focus. And this was a, a star-studded cast and every one of them brought their A, a game and, and two hours and 40 minutes of it, you know, didn't feel too much or, or, or even um, going on um, at maybe even longer than, than some people may have wanted. Um, but for you and from your perspective, from one, from one to four stars, what would you give it? I would give it three stars. I mean, that's, you know, I had to give mm. it three stars. It just, the beginning, it was stale for a minute there. And then once he, you know, got to the the um, the um place that used to shoot the the old Western now, then it started, you know, getting to... Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just stale a little bit. Like, it, it just took too long to get into it, you know? Like, think, for instance, another mm. Quentin Tarantino movie, Django. Like, the first... 20, 30 minutes, we had action. We had substance. But this, it just took a while to get into. Like, I, I don't know. It was just kind of stale. And then the storyline, I really really didn't like it as much because we didn't get, like, any information about um, uh, Cliff Booth. Like, uh, another, like, yeah, okay, that's the guy who killed his wife. Then they showed up. They didn't. I don't know. They yeah. didn't give us enough for the character development. Like, like, how did Cliff Booth get so good at martial arts? Like, how did his dog get? That's so what good? I'm trying to figure out. That's yeah, what I'm like, trying to figure out. <laughs> that's what's like. What? How the dog? I knew the dog knew. Um, like he was trained, but like, like, give us something. Like it was just like I don't know. It was a lot of moving parts, and nothing was really explained. The the character development I really didn't really like. I mean, the acting was on point because, I mean, they're top-notch. Brad Pitt, he, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's what Tarantino said. This is, he said this duo is as good as Paul Newman and Robert Redford. He said the the, the action, I mean, the, the, the A-list um, just ability in these two was just, you know, j just so overwhelming for him in this film. I mean, looking back at some of, like, Tarantino's earlier films, is it one of those things where if you if we didn't have those earlier films and how good his films are would change your perspective on it or was it just like this particular film just was a good one for you but just not a great one for sure because i don't think <clears throat> excuse me i don't think you make this type of film if you weren't if you wasn't uh successful in your early career or like the films you made or contributed to you don't make this type this film is like okay this is my night film i want to do something different this is what i'm going to do, do whatever yeah, I could do whatever, and it's going to turn over well because, one, I have top 
A-list actors in it. And they're going to give me their freaking all in each scene. And that they did. DiCaprio played his butt off. Uh, uh, Brad Pitt played the crap out of Clint Booth. It was just like he was mysterious. He was like, he, his facial expressions did most of the talking. And then when he did, like, it was just like he made a presence. Like, it was, it, yeah, they, 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 they made this movie. But, like, you don't make this film if you're, like, your fourth, fifth year in. You only directed, like, two films. You don't make this type That's of That's a huge gamble. <laughs> yeah, huge gamble. But it turned over well through, what, $378 million box office, $90 million budget? I mean, it turned over well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um... Now transitioning to, to favorite character, um, for, for me, it was Cliff Booth as one of the coolest characters Brad Pitt has ever played with him, being charming and relaxed, um, you know, can be goofy at times, but there's just a coldness to him, even when he's at his friendliness. Um, he carries with him a confidence that shows he can just dominate everyone in the room. Um, just one of the main anchors of the movie and Hollywood's, you know, what Tarantino was trying to show in that character is that Hollywood's made of Cliff Booth's no-name crew members who do the heavy lifting while other times, you know, the stars get the credit for it. Um, But for you overall, kind of like, who was your favorite character? Yeah, I mean, Rick Dalton. I mean, like, it was just like, it it was like the perfect depiction, because I think of, uh, what's the old Western guy? Hello, Pilgrims. uh, Jeez, Louise, the old Western... um, Oh gosh, he's old. I'm going blank on these westerns. <laughs> like the old school, uh, I forgot his name. Just those westerns and him, and him coming in and doing those like sh- shoddy film. What's that? John Wayne. John Wayne. Wellington, you do it again. Yeah. Wellington. Whoop whoop. <laughs> but no, well, on yeah. The scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like thirty thousand on the scoreboard. You've you've saved me with names, countless times, man. Like. But um, <laughs> it reminds me of John Wayne, like how John Wayne transitioned out because he was mostly the Western and it just like, you know, the old guy stuck in their ways and then it showed him trying to figure out how to be a better actor. This is not my normal film. And then he like, especially <laughs> the blunder he had on set because he couldn't remember the lines and the, the, the scene was just crap. He went into the trailer. That's, you know, and then the, the last scene, man, like, yeah. <laughs> I came out with the toy. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I think yeah, Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton is my one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, now I mean, and, and before we move on, like with um, especially for for Brad Pitt getting this Best Supporting Actor award later in his career, like like, what are your thoughts overall on just like what Brad Pitt has done in his career? Because you know. Um, we've covered, we haven't done a ton of rapid films. We've covered Ocean's Eleven, but looking back at just some of his most iconic characters, you know, even um, in Fight Club, Seven, um, just other films that, you know, we remember Brad Pitt for. Like, like what were your thoughts mm-hmm. on the significance of this film for him and just what he's done throughout his career? I don't think he thought he was going to uh, win an award for this, this role. I think it's one of those roles you just take just because. Because Quinn Tarantino's like, yeah, man, I really need you in the film. I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything. All my adopted kids are with my ex-wife. So, <laughs> okay, that's too far. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't have anything else to do. So why not? I don't have any time on my hands. <laughs> like, it's the same thing we did for Deadpool. Deadpool 2. 
Like he was like, uh, yeah, Rob Riddle le- wrote him a letter. He was just like, well, they pay me a coffee. <laughs> he was there for like 15 <laughs> minutes and then they gave him coffee. He was like, okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> what? So like, <laughs> I don't think he, you know, it was like that back in his mind, like, yo, I'm going to get us, I'm going I'm to win a, you know, from this role. But I think it wasn't most, most iconic roles, obviously. It's not, I don't think it's in his top five because he's been in a lot of films, like you said, Fight Club. Uh, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean series, yeah. uh, the one with him in a uh, what's the the Mister and Mrs. Smith was a great film. Um, he has so many. Uh, uh, Troy was a great iconic role for him. Uh, he played uh, uh was Achilles. What a freaking role he played the crap out that role. Yeah. Um, I mean the list goes on. Like I don't have his uh list of like his credentials in front of me but I, I think it was a good role but it wanted his most like iconic roles but i don't think you know when he was like signed up for it, it was like yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna win something like yo i'm good like it's i'm gonna win something supporting role for this not i think he didn't have that many lines either he didn't have that many lines willington yeah. it's like it was like short like he had like one-liners super one-liners hey. but yeah you're a dog <laughs> Don't you forget it. <laughs> hey, you're Rick Dog. Don't you forget it. Super one-liners. It reminds me of John Wick. Like, John Wick, he just talks in that, like, choppy sentence. It is just like, you should just yeah. not talk. Like, I'm glad you know how to kill because you don't have any people skills. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, now transitioning to the most memorable scenes, um, had a Rick meeting uh, Marvin Schwartz where Marvin is explaining that Rick is being cast as the weekly bad guy on TV Westerns, which was a, a trick Hollywood uses to slowly phase out old timers while simultaneously setting up um, new heroes that defeat them. Cliff driving home where after he drops off Rick, he, you know, he's racing through the streets, passing by one hot spot after another. And um, Los Angeles of the 1960s comes to life. And the reality of being a stunt double is highlighted as he's just, you know, living in a trailer with his dog um, behind a, a drive-in theater. Um, the Alan Kincaid interview where Rick explains the purpose of a stunt double and establishes the core of their friendship. Cliff and Rick are watching FBI, and this is where, after returning from the Spawn Ranch, Cliff and Rick watch an episode of FBI where Rick, where Rick is um, making a guest appearance and they're both just hanging out. And we're also provided with the director's commentary track of the show for the audience's benefit. And, um... Cliff fighting Bruce Lee, and, and, and it's all, almost uh, watching a movie within a movie as we see the camera zoom out, and you've got a, a larger-than-life character in Bruce Lee. Um, the Great Escape, where James Stacy asked Rick, Rick to confirm a rumor he heard that Rick almost got the lead role in The Great Escape. Um, one of the true, li- true highlights of the film and a great display of movie magic as Rick is inserted into a classic scene um, of the film. Rick gets an acting lesson, to me, like one of the best scenes of the film where the young actress, uh, the young actress Julia Butters puts on a clinic portraying Trudy a Frazier and offers Rick a lesson on the vir- virtues of method acting. And they even, you know, go on to compare notes on the books they're reading. Um, Trudy is blown away by the biography of Walt Disney and calling him a generational genius. And then you contrast that with Rick reading a Western about Tom Breezy, a cowboy who um, mirrors Rick's own not being the best anymore. And um, also Cliff visit- visiting Spawn Ranch Um Sharon's hate going to the movies, you know, after she picks up a book and, you know, makes a spontaneous decision to go see on the Wrecking Crew in which she played the part of uh, Freya Carlson. And, um, you know, she's watching herself on the, on the screen and gets, you know, a, a ton of joy of that. And then 
the audience gets joy of her, you know, watching that and, and seeing like how she's responding to it. And, um, you know, as we were talking about <laughs> Rick confronting the Mansons where, you know, Rick's just, you know, j- just coming out with a robe, wielding a-, a margarita pitcher to confront the deadly Mansons. And there's a re- reoccurrence of violence coming to life throughout the movie and the pretend action of violence from Rick's movies lead into the real life um, of his stuntman. But to you overall, kind of like what was your most memorable scene of this film? Um, the one when they were just like those hippies came into the house and, uh, yo, this is my favorite part, bro. Like, um, so they, the girl, like, I think beat up the dude or whether they're by the dog's body and the other girl, they got punched by the wife, the new wife. She stabbed, (laughs) she clapped, (laughs) clipped, moved in the side and he like looks and he looks at it, he's like touching it, and he looked at her, and he starts smashing her head in everywhere. That's okay. It's funny. It's funny to me, bro. And then when he came <laughs> in and she jumped in the pool, and he was like, "What the heck?" And he got the flamethrower, the torch, torched her up. Uh, mm-hmm. What else? A good scene. Uh, good scene was uh, when he acted real well, and the girl hugged him, or when he was talking to the girl. And it was just like she she seemed older than what she was, and she was like she's been acting a while. I think you mentioned it, and then she was like, "That's how you act." And then he was like, "Yeah, Rick Dalton." Yeah, she like she was like some that's some of the best acting I've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's dope. Like that's what that was a good scene too. That was like one of his like shining moments of him being serious. Yeah. Um, now transitioning to most memorable quotes, um, Bruce Lee, my hands are registered as lethal weapon as lethal weapons. If we get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. <laughs> Then Cliff, anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> um, Cliff, if something were to happen to my boss's car, well, I'd get it in trouble. Lucky for you, he's got a spare. Fix it. Um, Trudy, as, as we were talking about, that was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, Rick, in this town, it can all change like that. Another one from Rick. Um, hey, could you you could do anything you want to him. Um, throw him off a building right. Light him on fire. Hit him with the Lincoln right. Get creative. Um, another one from Rick, it's official old buddy. I'm a has-been. Sam Wanamaker, I'm, I, I hired you to be an actor, Rick, not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. Um, mm-hmm. Cliff, um, hey, you're Rick Dalt. <laughs> <laughs> the one line from Brad. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Sharon Tate, I'm Sharon Tate. Um, I'm in the movie where, where she's uh, trying to get in to see her own film. Um, but to you, what was kind of like the most memorable quote of this one? Those all were like really, really good. But it's one, just it's like the end of the scene. He was like, my buddy and his dog killed two of them. No crap. I tore, no. Yeah, I torched the last one. He was like, torched? He was like, yeah, I burned her butt to a crisp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that was a good one. That was really, really good. Um, Yeah, you, yeah, you hit all the other ones. Like, but that was one of my favorite ones. Yeah, I burned her butt to a crisp. And he you know he was another one. He was like, um, it's like really short. Where is it? Uh he was like, you know, when he was making the, the margarita, and he was coming outside. He was like, yes. a bunch of god darn effing hippies. He was like, what the crap? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they treat hippies so bad, man? God, <laughs> like freaking hippies. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, now transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, how Tarantino constructed this as a love letter to Hollywood, along with 
the great trademark dialogue. I mean, from from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction to you know Kill Bill um, to to any you know obviously Django to any film that you can think of Tarantino, the dialogue is one of the most important things of his films. I mean, I think he was one of the first directors where when I watched his movies, I was like, it's the dialogue that's the most important thing. I mean, the, the, the reoccurring things that are surrounding it are important, but the dialogue and, and what people are conversing on is what's really important. And that was, you know, true for this film as well. And um, the tension and techniques that were packed into, you know, as we were talking about the Spawn Ranch and Manson final scenes were um, were excellent. And, and, and the, you know, there's a high level of humor there matched with intensity and suspense um, that are just filled throughout. But to you, kind of what did you like the most about this particular storyline? No, I was like, man, I really don't. I mean, the dialogue was really, really good. But outside of that, man, I do not know what I like about the storyline, to be completely honest with you. I love the actors. Mm. I think the actors brought brought it to life well. I just don't like the the character development. It had a lot of missing, like, holes in the storyline. Um like the the with uh Margaret Robbie's character, I really I really didn't know what significance it had. Yes, that's her neighbor, their neighbors or whatever, but she's pregnant and she's got a boyfriend slash husband. Like what what significance was her role? Like that's all I didn't get the full like at his the full capacity of what he what I get it's a love letter, but to what extent? Like, it was just like I don't know, it just was everywhere to me. It wasn't Yeah, sh- and I mean I guess this kind of like fits along with with, you know, our last half of 10, 10 years from now, do you still think it's watchable and, and intriguing? Um, you know, the, the A-list acting, um, the, the you were talking about there, there, there's holes in the storyline. And before we even get to the last topic, like, this is one of his, like, most criticized movies. Like, a lot of people did not like this film. It gets great reception from the Academy Awards, the Golden Golden Globes, from critics. Everybody loves it. And, and this is, like, one of the most fascinating discussions on a on like a really successful film is that viewers a lot of a lot of viewers didn't like it but critics and those in the industry in the film industry praised it and loved it and said this was a beautiful work of art and a love letter to Hollywood like what are your thoughts on there being a divide from what the critics think and what the viewers like you just who just didn't really click with it sometimes it's it's we're never on the same page, like what with uh, Shutter Island. Like you know, critics think some differently, and yeah. how it how it flows. And then, as me as a consumer and as a uh, vivid movie watcher, I don't know. It wasn't a bad film. I think it was really, really good. But the storyline, it just had, like I said, it had so many holes in it. But for critics and you know the Academy to to, to think this film was had was like unblemished. I I don't see it. I don't I don't understand. That's what I'm saying. They they just they thought there was like no blemishes with this. I don't I don't get it. I I can't like for for me everything has to come back to a halt. Like the even the last scene was just like what like huh? <laughs> it was really really good. It was funny. It was like it was had everything. Like but where did this come from? Like what it 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 wasn't it was suspenseful. I didn't see it coming. But like what? I don't get it. And then the last part, him finally speaking to the guy and then meeting her for the first time because he really wanted to meet. Like, <sighs> I guess, I guess it has some underlining notes in there because even if you're a star, you still are starstruck by other people. I don't know. Maybe I'm just picking something out now, Wellington. I don't know, man. I just don't get the <laughs> entire storyline, man. I just don't. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, for, for me, the, the, the trademark dialogue, the, the, the duo of, of DiCaprio, Brad Pitt and, and what he was portraying in Hollywood, I, I, I do think this can be a watchable and intriguing film 10 years from now. To, to you, like, it, it, would you say to close it out, just the, the, the missing links in the storyline, just not a clear direction, kind of like, it, it seems like from what you're saying, it, it just felt like all over the place and not as like a really direct view um, is, is to why you may think it, 10 years from now, it's not going to be watchable and intriguing for some. No, no, no. I think it is. I think it is. I'm just saying like the, about the okay. storyline and how they thought it was unblemished and that it, it was like, I don't know, like it was like a perfect film or something like that. But no, I definitely think it's from 10 years now, 10, 10 years from now, I think it's going to be a watchable film because of two elements. The actors, the A-list actors and yeah. Quentin Tarantino. I've watched every Quentin yeah, Tarantino absolutely. film, every Quentin Tarantino film that he's like had a hand in. I've watched. I'm a fan of Quentin Tarantino, but for this one, huh? Like you just just picture like even with Pump Fiction in this, like Pump Fiction went everywhere, but it kind of like did a belly roll, you know, like the worm. Like Pulp but it was Fiction, all one smooth. of the five best films I've ever seen. Right. And it was like, it was smooth. It went everywhere. It went from this place, this way, but it still, like, you were still, it was still connected. It was like cursive. Like, it was smooth and bumpy, but it was, it was still good. Like, for this, it was, it was good, but I'm like, huh? Like, how did that, like, go there and this and there? Now my arms and stuff are twisted like Squidward on SpongeBob. Like, I don't, I don't get it, but yeah. I definitely think it's <laughs> for 10 years from now that it's still watchable because of the Quintertino and Al Pacino. DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, like, I mean, the list goes on. It's a lot of other actors yeah. in there, too. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Russell. That was a surprise, I, too. I like, mean, he, yeah. That was, yeah, that's what I was about to say. That was a big surprise for me in this one. He was in there for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a cameo. <laughs> Two minutes of was, change. <laughs> right. It was Kurt Russell in there. It was another actor in there. Um, he played in a bunch of films. Let's see if I can pull him up. Timothy Oliphant? I think his name is Nicholas. No, not Nicholas Hammond. No, not him. Ah, it doesn't matter. But it was some it was some other actors in there that had like minor cameos. Like the one he messed up in the scene. Like he messed the scene up. The dude he was in the, the scene with. I forgot his name though. He's a he's a big time actor too. Yeah, he had a, a, a slew of, of big time, uh, big time actors in this one, as he does with with a ton of his films. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Wednesday Burns, learn my kind of Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.